Um, I'm available for all kinds of functions. So, yeah, my name is Grant, and I'm a, a pleasure of being a pastor, a privilege of being a pastor at New Song Church. Um, and uh, welcome this morning. You decided to come here, which involved all kinds of emotional um, and physical things you needed to do to get here. And it's very meaningful, I think, just the act of coming to a place like this on a Sunday morning uh, expresses something about a desire for change, for hope, uh, for joy, for healing. Um, uh, but the most remarkable thing about that is that we, in many ways, are the ways in which that comes to other people. You know, we often think about coming to church on a Sunday morning as being for us, but I would say the greatest part of coming is what you bring to somebody else. And I'm sure some of us have already had conversations this morning uh, which were meaningful and helpful. I've, I've had some great conversations today where people have just shared what's, what's really hurting right now, things that today seem impossible. Um, and it's, it's really more than one person, one pastor, or one leader could, could do. That's the beauty of the body, that we share life together. And because of the rich, vast experiences in this room, there's probably no experience that anyone could face that someone in this room is not already navigated or maybe is currently navigating. You know, my hope and my desire is to take away this platform and the pulpit and this be a place where I, I, I'm using my gifts in, in being a pastor and, and, sh and sharing the word, but that we're all sharing our gifts. And, and the primary one is simply presence, you know, right? We just show up. And God works when we're in proximity with other people loved by him, made in his image. That's really the sum total of what this is about. That we intentionally, as it says in Hebrews, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves, but do all the more so if you see the day coming. And I'm not a kind of a conspiracy theorist. I'm not much of an end times kind of student, but this world's in chaos right now. And this is where I want to be. I want to be with my brothers and sisters because it's the only way I can make sense of what's happening in this world is to draw near to God and to my brothers and sisters, to take communion together, to recognize that we have hope in Christ that, that is greater than any trouble we could face. So thanks for coming this morning, for whatever reason you chose to come, and I pray that, that you would find the love of God to be, to be genuine and palpable, and that it would come in the people around you through them. Amen? If you are uh, with us this morning, uh, perhaps for the first time, welcome to you. I hope that you will find a place of peace here and a place to simply reflect on what it means that there's a God who made this world and who loves us and who invites us into relationship with him, um, that you would find that here. Uh, if you would be willing to do so, in the seat backs, there's a connect card. We'd love to know that you were here. Uh, this information gathering is not for anything statistical or data-driven. It's simply to say that you know, we want to get to know you and how we might work together in this journey with Christ. Um, we uh, are here. We've got the signs on the wall. These are all signs and writings that have come out of moments of community here together. And one of them is uh, to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, to follow Jesus, love people, and do good. That, is, that undergirds everything that we seek to do here. We do it imperfectly, but this is what we want to do. Uh, together here. Many ways that that happens. Uh, we have uh, Mums Off Duty kickoff this week, Wednesday. 
if you are a mom who wants to be off duty, then you can come along uh, to the church at 6.30 p.m. and have a time of fellowship with, with other moms. Uh, this Saturday, we have an awesome little event called uh, Coffee and Costumes in the Courtyard. Um, there's going to be some prizes for costumes. I am going to wear, I'm not sure what yet, but I'm thinking about it, um, something, you know, uh, appropriate and uh, fun. But, so I'd encourage you to come along. Our pantry is happening that morning. The garden's happening that morning. So we've invited all of our pantry guests and friends to come. Once again, we, we're trying to find ways where we are in the same proximity as people we might not normally bump into and, and be together, uh, trusting that God will work in that. So come along at 9 a.m. next Saturday. Um, and we need baked goods. So if you have that, what do you call it? Good, good gardeners have a green thumb. What is it if you're good at baking? I don't know. Could be any color, couldn't it really? Is there any, I don't know. If you like to bake, even if you're not good at it, bring, bring uh, stuff. And if you come in office hours during the week, we will sample just to make sure it's good enough for Saturday morning for our guests. Uh, but yeah, you can contact the office uh, and let them know that you plan to bring some baked goods and we'll organize that. Uh, really, uh, Stephen uh, and Jess are back, by the way, from their honeymoon where they got married. Stephen is our youth pastor and... Uh, then Saturday, he and Jess both got sore throats and have horrible colds. They're not, they tested negative for COVID and all that stuff, but I think it's just jet lag and the excitement of honeymoon. They are worn out and they are taking it today off. So Stephen will be back on Wednesday. And then the following week is November 1st and there's a big Halloween, Halloween it's called, Halloween, that Halloween. sorry, I, you know. Um, party for student ministries. So if you know a middle school or high school student who might enjoy that, then uh, get in touch with Stephen. And then there's another women's event coming up and there are sign-ups. Kate Keeley, I think, is here. She has sign-up sheets for um, a charcuterie board evening. Who likes a good charcuterie board? I never knew what a charcuterie board was, actually, till I met Darren. <laughs> Darren is the charcuterie board king. I mean, you know, the whole thing. You don't want to eat it, it looks so good, but you do eat it. So sign up, talk to Kate about more information about that. Um, now I'm going to pray for our preacher today, which is me. <laughs> so I should probably go get my sermon notes. My lovely assistant, Rana. Yeah. But you know, we're going to pray. You know, I don't know, I think it's a good thing that the older I get, the less I believe in my ability to fix things, and the quicker I, I say, well, let's pray. And the more I believe that I actually, I used to say that that's our, the primary thing we should do, you know? It kinda, it's easy to say that sometimes, but the older I get, and the more experiences I have, both in my own life and the lives of others, the more I, I just go there and it has, a, it has shape, it's, it's solid, it's a real thing. I'm like, let's pray. It, it means a lot more than it used to. So I'm actually thinking, uh, we're only going to do it next, and last week, but I think this Wednesday night, we are going to do, we're going to open the sanctuary up, the worship center up, for a, a silent time of prayer. 
because as we recognize, I think, I know I feel a real need to come and be together with God's people and just sit in silence and pray and lament about what's happening around the world. So there'll be information coming via email about the yeah, details about that, but that'll be on Wednesday. Uh, and it's going to be not just simply about what's happening in Israel and Gaza, but about all the things happening in the world right now, and hopefully a chance for you to bring your own griefs and sorrows as well and bring them before God. So yeah, look out for information about that. Uh, but let's go now uh, to a place of prayer. Father, Lord, I thank you for this, this moment. It is a moment that has tremendous possibility because we have gathered and we've done because you invite us to gather. We pray because you invite us to pray, to express whatever is most deep in us, whether that be joy or the depths of sorrow. We thank you, Lord, that you know each one of us perfectly and that your orientation towards us is one of love and welcome and hospitality and care. Thank you, Lord, that you walk with us in all of our journeys and that you have walked before us. You have walked this road before, Jesus. There's nothing that befalls us that is not known to you. We pray, Lord, for our world. Our hearts are broken to see images and to hear news of people going about their daily lives to be interrupted by violence and death and horror and abuse. And our minds are overwhelmed with not knowing what to do. Lord, you are still Lord. And we all wait together for the day when you bring justice and righteousness and peace to flow like a river to wash away our pain. Until that day, Lord, we come to you with seriousness and expectation uh, as the sole giver of all that we need. Uh, bless our time together. Give us patience, Lord. And give us receptivity and openness to what you are telling us and sharing with us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Hebrews. We're in a series we're calling Press, Pressing On. And really that's the whole tone of this book. It's from a writer who has gone to great lengths to collect information and then assemble it in such a way that the audience who originally received this, who we believe are struggling, they're weary, they're thinking of quitting, might find themselves inspired again by the goodness of God, the comprehensive work of God. When they were not asking for salvation, God saved them. And the same God will sustain them now 
and they are called to persevere, to trust. Last week, we were in uh, the very beginning of chapter 11, and uh, it talked about faith. A few things the author said. The first was that faith is the reality of our hope. And we considered that we all act in our lives. We do things according to what we hope will happen, whether it's saving for retirement or whether it's raising children or anything else in which we hope. We act accordingly to that. And this is this great hope that we have been given that that God will accomplish all that he has promised he will do. We act according to that hope. And, And that is the reality of our hope is in our life of faith where we trust in God uh, with everything that we encounter because we have a hope to come that we have set our sights on. Second was that faith is the proof of unseen things. The unseen things are that we don't yet see the world as we believe it should be or or hope that it's going to be, but yet we act in accordance with that hope and it provides proof both to ourselves as we see God moving and working through the ways in which we choose according to faith. And also those watching us, they see this evidence of the hope that we have. And then we learn that the very first act of faith is to believe that God made the world. By faith, we believe that God created all that there is from, from what was not. Therefore, that's that foundational faith that kind of brings us to all the rest, that God made this world, that God loves this world, and God will redeem this world. And then the other part of that section was about these ancients who were commended by God for their faith. And that's where we're going today in this longer passage uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, very famous passage. When I say to you these three words, hall of fame, what do you think of? What comes to mind for you? Anyone? Okay, wow, look at you guys. Yeah, it probably depends upon like, who you are and what you're into. So perhaps like some couple of people may well mentioned the Baseball Hall of Fame, right? So if you're into baseball, that probably popped into mind. You probably got all these stats you could share with me. And I'll be yawning, by the way. <laughs> because I'm not into baseball. But perhaps, or perhaps like me, the Rock and Roll Hall of Flame, Hall of Flame, Hall of Fame would come into mind. Yeah, Tara. And you, I've got other stats like, you know, all these musicians and, you know, the family tree of goth rock, you know, how that all came about. And you would be oh, bored. I did a little research into the concept of halls of fame, and it is a rabbit hole, man, like most of these things when you get onto Wikipedia and you're looking around. I almost didn't have time left to write a sermon. It was so exciting and interesting. There are so many halls of fame. There are hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, there's a place of honor for pretty much every area of human accomplishment and achievement, including, you may be happy to learn, I know some of you are going to be really happy to learn about this, the Polka Hall of Fame <laughs> in Cleveland, Ohio. Has anyone visited the, Pol- the Polka Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio? There's a few people I think may have. You're not admitting it, okay. I hear it's well worth a visit. Um, how do you gain entrance to a hall of fame such as these? I mean, many reasons, like longevity in some particular aspect of human achievement, endurance, success, innovation, courage, 
or maybe just simply playing the tuba really well, right, for the Polka Hall of Fame. Uh, the text that we're thinking about this morning is often called the Hall of Fame or a Hall of Faith um, because of the repetition of the words by faith in, con- in connection with many people in the Old Testament who trusted in God. That was all the story had got up to by the point Hebrews was written. There was the church happening, but most of the stories of the saints were Old Testament stories. Um, and, and there's such a variety of people. We're going to read these names shortly. Uh, the qualities for inclusion in this hall of fame are very singular, and they are that these people who had faith in God, any small amount of faith at any time. And the writer recalls to mind all of these people who at some point in their lives trusted, and, and, and their faith became the reality of their hope, and their faith became the proof of unseen things, they believed God, and their lives became caught up in this story and this movement to, to which, to this day, that we are recipients of, to this day. You know, I was looking up the Hall of Fame idea. It actually originated in Germany in the 19th century, and it's a place called Valhalla. You guys, like Norse myths, would know it's like Valhalla, where all the heroes go. And it was in 1807 they made this building and they, they started putting these German, not just Germans, but German-speaking or German uh, culture people um, who had uh, done great works of art or, or good deeds. And it was less about you know, running fast or anything like that and more about something that helped the human race, something that was, that was benevolent towards their fellow humans uh, and elevated somehow uh, the human uh, experience. Um, not surprisingly, looking through the names, there's a great many people of faith. There was this catalyst for them to achieve something that, that, that was, the result was that they were honored in this place, but were you to ask them, they would probably say, well, actually, there should be a different image here, the image of the, the Savior in whom I have hoped and the faith in whom I have put that led me to act in this way, but there's all these busts of different people. And the most recent addition to the collection, just the past couple of years, is the image of a young German woman. And you may not have heard of her. Her name is Sophie Scholl. And that's the, the inclusion there. In 1942, she and her brother Hans, along with some friends, so this is World War II is really kicking off. The Nazis are implementing all of their racist, genocidal practices. And they were students at the university, and they formed a nonviolent resistance group called the White Rose. Uh, and they sought to expose the evils of the Nazi regime. And they actually, there was a movie uh, written about her, which it includes her faith, but they were people of deep Christian faith. They were raised in a nominal Christian family, but during university, they had an encounter with Christ, and this was the catalyst for them to do this. Um, so they started writing using uh, literature and leaflets to try and get people to awaken. And unfortunately, the church was sleeping at that time. Um, and only one year later, in 1943, she was executed by the Nazis. And she wrote these things in her journal. For each of us, no matter in what age we live, have to be prepared at a moment's notice to be called by God. We must fear for the existence of mankind only because men turn away from him who is their life. So this passage is 
points to people who did, did that very thing, who did not turn away from the life giver and whose lives came to be included here in this passage. We're going to read uh, Hebrews 11, 4 to 40. That's a lot of verses, so make sure you're comfortable. Just settle into that. It's got lumbar support. No, these ones don't. We've got the cheap seats. Okay. If I'd been in charge when the chairs are being chosen, they would have had lumbar support because, you know. Okay, Hebrews 11, 4 to 40. This is the word of God. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because he saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. 
By faith, he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning and they were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Kind of could end there, maybe. And it's actually a sermon. The whole of Hebrews is a long sermon. It's encouraging. But first, we're going to think about a few common themes that might inform what it means for us to live by faith. If this is There are commonalities when you choose to follow God. It's like when you meet someone from another country and your brother's in Christ and, you know, whether through an interpreter or you can speak the same language, you find all these things in common that are just kind of bizarre. I'm sure some of you guys have done that. You're like, oh, I experienced that too. Such a beautiful evidence of the truth of the gospel that when you meet someone who you've never met before who's following Jesus in a different part of the world, it might look different culturally, but the heart of it is so much that's similar. So the first thing is, is great, and if you get to know me, this might actually ring quite true, okay? The first is four L words I'm going to use, because I do like alliteration. Helps me to remember things. The first one is lunacy, okay? If you put your faith in Christ and you live out of that faith, you're going to be a bit weird, okay? These people are weird, right? The Old Testament is full of weird people. Uh, and the, the least weird are the people who just followed the rules or did the typical human, stupid human tricks of, of persecution and oppression and violence and power and all that stuff. The ones who follow God are, are kind of bonkers. Do your friends think you're weird a little bit, ever? Who said pretty much? Pretty much. Tara, yeah, I testify to that, Tara. You are weird. Why wouldn't we want to be weird, you know? Like that 60s song, Fly, Fly My Freak Flag High. You know, Paul said, I'm willing to be made, I'd be like a fool for Christ. It's foolishness. This whole thing is kind of ridiculous. Believing in unseen things, having, having hope that all things will be made right one day and living according to that hope, trusting in God, you'll be weird. Noah, building a giant boat, not a cloud in the sky, Months for mocked by his neighbors. This guy's a moron. I remember actually on Orcas Island, someone built a boat, like in the woods, nowhere near the ocean, and he was weird. I don't think God told him to build that boat. 
As far as I know, it's still there, rotting in the woods. But maybe he's going to prove us wrong one day. There's a really a great song by this band called Rue Royale. It's a husband and wife couple who, who write songs of faith, but they're, they're, they're very artistic and poetic and not just in your face. But there's a song called Lunacy. And just very honest, is, is it possible to believe in a force that covers mountains with the sea, clearing obstacles I cannot climb? Could it be? Is it true or lunacy? Right? You're going to be a bit weird. Embrace it. Embrace it. Because you're in good company. If, if, God is, if God is calling you to do something that, you know, ask the other weird people, because maybe you're especially weird and you're mis- you've misheard, right? But ask your brothers and sisters. Pray about it, you know? This seems really counterintuitive to do at this stage in my life, but I really feel God's calling me to do this. Move here. Start this. Just because it doesn't make sense doesn't mean it's not the right thing. The second thing, though, is, is legacy. Another L word, legacy. I, I love that it says about Abel that his, his life continues to speak. By faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. If, if we seek to live by faith, even haltingly, imperfectly, our life will continue to speak even after we die. It's kind of amazing. Um, I, I love to think about, when I feel discouraged, to think about the power of a life of faith and, and the, the way it can grow in ways I'll never see. These people never saw what resulted from their simple acts of faith. And some of these are just a momentary decision to welcome people or not welcome people. And from God's perspective, this was a moment that changed so many things. That's a hopeful way to look at your life. Most people want to have a legacy. They want to be remembered, but it's often quite selfish and ego-driven, isn't it? And I played music in a band uh, for a while. I've got records by Rona's band and my band on my wall, and I sometimes look at them and go like, Shofi, that was my band. Like, I mean, I mean something. I'm valuable. I wrote songs. They'll be listened to maybe, you know? That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what God will do with your life when you trust in him that has a legacy, whether it's in your family or in your community. It is powerful, and and it's actually like a raging wildfire of faith and transformation that can happen. The second thing I think is beautiful in this passage about a legacy is that despite the fact that these were flawed human beings, there's no mention of their sin here. It's not mentioned. There were some sinners here. Rahab, interestingly enough, the, the, the writer mentions Rahab's profession, which was prostitute, but it's not in a condemning way. I think it's there to say Rahab, who had this situation going on with her life for whatever reason, exercised faith and was commended by God for that faith. We talked about Samson a couple of weeks ago and how he just blew it at every single choice. He made the wrong choice. But in the end, he called on God, Lord, restore to me my strength. Give me your righteousness. And even though he lost his life, he, he was, God met him there. David is mentioned in this passage. But there's no mention of his sin. Your sins will not be remembered 
but your faith will. Your sins will not be remembered, but your faith will. God remembers you. The third L is long view. You will set your eyes on the future. You will live in a way that will cause you to be both present now, focused on what you're doing today, but always with a mind towards the hope towards which you're heading. And actually, we said before, the hope that is heading towards you. His return is rushing towards us. It's not so much that we're walking towards it. He is coming. A long view. I was going to put an image in, but I couldn't find a good one. But you know like chameleons? What's the remark about chameleons is they can look in two different places at once, right? It's really odd. But that's kind of what we, by faith, we kind of have to do that, right? If we only are looking at now, I know for myself, I, I, it's overwhelming to me. I have to keep my mind on the kingdom to come in order to live out my faith. And C.S. Lewis said this fantastic little statement. He said, aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you will get neither. Aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. You will enjoy to the best of your ability, the gifts of God has given us in this world of community and fellowship and food and music and song and dancing and art and hiking. I don't know, you name it. No more shame, no more guilt, no more condemnation. Enjoy what God has given you, but always remember the kingdom to come. And the, uh, and the next L, the, the last L is this, long-suffering. The call in this book is to persevere, and you will experience suffering. You know, it's amazing how these people, in order to make the choice to have faith in God and trust in Him, it caused them more problems than had they taken the easier route to avoid and chosen to go a different way. It is hard. A life of faith is hard. Um, you will master the art of delayed gratification. You know what that word means? Delayed gratification. It's one of the most important things to learn. Faith will say, I will, I will wait, and God will reward me. I will wait, and God will bring about his way, his plan. So there's, there's some things, I think maybe it resonated with us a little bit about, yeah, that's what it kind of feels like to walk by faith. Um, and this list of names is, is really interesting because it seems like a bit higgledy-piggledy, you know, not very much order to it, other than chronologically, it does kind of start at the beginning. God created the earth, and then it's got Abel, and it's got Noah, and it's got Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all these people, right? <clears throat> But actually, the writer has designed this with one singular point in mind to which he wants to draw all of our faithful lives. And it actually is from the very beginning of Hebrews. Here's how it began. Remember this again. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the is woven all through these stories because he is the ultimate example of faith. There's three kind of different 
attributes of faith that these men and women who are described in this passage displayed. And Christ exemplifies all of them perfectly. The first one is righteousness. Abel, by faith, he was commended as righteous. Enoch, he was commended as one who pleased God. Noah, by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. God was pleased with their faith, their righteousness. And at Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1, as Jesus rises out of the water, if John has baptized him, it says, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The second thing that is exemplified by the people in this story, which Christ embodies perfectly, is perseverance in the light of promise. Hebrews 11.9 talks about Abraham. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham left his home and stepped out in faith. He was never fully at home. It talks about them being pilgrims and being strangers in this world because they were heading toward a city that God was building. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, here's what John, Jesus' friend, says about Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus perfectly exemplifies this concept of a journey of faith as he descends, comes from heaven to the earth and descends into death and then rises back up again. His perseverance, he turned his face toward Jerusalem. He did not shrink back. And the third thing is being tested and tried. Abraham was certainly tried. This famous story when God was, told Abraham, God, was, God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. What a terrible thing to have to do. It points out that Abraham has such faith in the promises of God that he went up to the mountain and he took the knife and he took his son. But he believed, as the writer says, that even God could raise the dead. This incredible faith. And Jesus... Um, in the same way, despite the suffering and the pain, he kept moving forwards because he trusted that God, his Father, was good. In Hebrews 11, 24, 27, talks about Moses. Similarly, when he'd grown up, he refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He aligned himself with the slaves rather than this opportunity he had to avail himself of privilege and live in the palace with all that that provided for him because he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt, looking forward to his reward. And in Hebrews 2, we read about Jesus because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Christ comes as the ultimate man of faith, person of faith. <clears throat> but it's the conclusion of this passage that draws it all together and brings us into the story. 
he ends with this. These, the people he has mentioned, and some not by name, but just by the experiences they went through, were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. The words I want to point out are all the words in this passage that that God does. This is the beauty of faith. God made the promises. God had the plan. And his plan encompasses all people of faith at all times, in all places, including us today. We are part of this grand scheme of God's work in this world to redeem all that has been lost, all that has been broken. And you and I are every bit as important in how we respond to the hope that we've been shown. And we are connected with these people through the generations and through the history. Our lives are in a similar way, living out this faith that has found its perfection in Christ, but yet we wait for the day when this is fully realized. I was thinking about when people are going to put on a play or a, or a, or a some, who's into theater? Who loves theater? I know Linda, that's quite a lot of people. Well done. I'm impressed. Who has been an actor? So in, in the theater world, you know, you have dress rehearsals, right? And I was kind of thinking in some ways that this story, the story of these people is sort of like dress rehearsals. They, they each have a part to play in their time and their place. They have their time, like Shakespeare said, you know, you walk onto the stage, you walk off of the stage. This whole drama of faith that is played out. But then one day it's all leading up to this performance that is perfectly encapsulated in who Christ was and what Christ did. One night only, on that dark night when he was crucified, it was the fulfillment, the completion, the perfection of every life that had walked in righteousness, who had trusted God even for a moment, who had experienced the need to persevere through suffering. And it all comes to this one night and Christ does this very thing perfectly for all who would trust in him. Before every critic, theaters love those, don't they? Every mocker, every critic, and every faithful person who preceded him and who came after him, he has this amazing moment of faith. Not as I will, but you, your will be done, Father. Forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. It is finished. So we, we continue to rehearse that. We're in the same boat. It has been done for us, but it is not yet completed. So our lives every day are so important. The beautiful thing is in Christ, we can have confidence to step out in faith because our sins, as I said, will not be remembered. They have been taken away. We are free now to live for Christ in our life, in our time. We are free to do so. And I know 
from God's perspective, he rejoices when he sees that one moment when you choose to follow him and he sees the bigger picture, the grand picture of all the good that will result from this choice that you made to trust in the faithful one. You know, there's coming a day when there will be no more need for faith. Faith will become sight when the perfect comes. In the Apostle Paul wrote this, these three remain, <clears throat> faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. There is coming a time when we will no longer need to exercise the white knuckle at times, dark night of the soul, uh, lying awake at night, challenge of, of, a, of a life of faith. It will be sight and present. But for now, that is our calling to find confidence in the stories of these men and women who at some point decided to say yes to God, to put their trust in him, and to see how that played out on the grand scheme of the history of this world, and it's still happening today. We're going to walk out of this building today, and we will have opportunities to exercise our trust and faith in Christ. And I have a picture in my head of what it looks like when a community of people practice that. You know, we're going to need each other for that, though. That's the other thing about this thing. We're going to learn next week this great cloud of witnesses. We are participants in that. We are cheerleaders for one another's lives of faith. That's why we need to be together. That's why we need to be honest with each other. Because it's difficult. Amen. Hands up who thinks living a life of faith is easy. Okay, right. So we need each other. I need you. I love, actually, this morning... Typical people ask you, how are you doing? I'm really honest these days. I say, I'm doing okay. And that leads to a conversation. I used to always just say, great, fine. Don't talk to me. Don't pry. Don't want to tell you about it. And I see that happening here. Uh, yeah, we're going to go to communion. And it's part of the sermon because this is where we get to engage physically to come and take the bread and the cup. And we remember this other moment of faith when Jesus and his disciples gathered. And by faith, Jesus observed the Passover. Even though, knowing that the, the, the pieces were moving and his arrest was coming soon, I don't know if I would have sat down and had an elaborate meal with all the different prayers and things that you do through that meal. I probably would have been on the next train out of Jerusalem or something else. But by faith... He followed the plan and the story. And by faith, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. These feet that were going to get bruised and beaten from their walking around sharing the gospel in a few short weeks. By faith, Jesus spoke the words of the new covenant. He said, this is my body, which is for you. This is my blood of the forgiveness of sins, which is for you. And by faith, Jesus endured the cross. He trusted, just as Abraham would be willing to sacrifice Isaac, Christ knew that he would not ultimately be abandoned, and he, would, he endured that time. And by faith, Jesus rose from the dead. And so by faith this morning, we take the cup, and we take the bread, and by faith, we remember, and by faith, we dedicate ourselves again to say, Lord, you show me, you show me a way you give me the strength I need. I will trust in your promises. I will say yes to you. 
and I'll be weird. And it'll be a struggle sometimes. But I got my brothers and sisters here with me. So I'm going to ask uh, if folks will get ready to serve communion. I have to pick a few more people out. Um, Darren, do you want to serve communion with me up front? And um, <clears throat> Dan, Soika, you want to serve at the back with Scott? Is that okay? Yeah, Scott's at the back. Thank you, guys. So in your own time, this is uh, something we do collectively, but it's also very individual. Maybe you know right now, not fully, but there's something that God is asking you to trust him for. Let that be your prayer. Say, in light of all that you have done for me and, are, and that you're present with me, I will trust you, Lord. Give me the strength to, to keep moving forwards. And we'll hold the elements and take them all together in a minute.
Does anyone need served where they're seated? If you raise your hand, someone will come and serve you. faith we come, Lord, recognizing that we are weak, we are prone to everything that this world can throw at us, but we are held by you. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that means that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for setting us free. We thank you for giving us another day of life. We thank you for surrounding us with a community. And we pray that our connections would deepen. As you prayed, Lord, you said, may they all be one as we are one, Father. Help us, Lord, to see our neighbors, uh, to love them. And Lord, help us to come out of the dark, out of our hiding, uh, into your love and grace and mercy and compassion. Uh, We take this bread in remembrance of your great sacrifice on our behalf. Amen. take the cup, we, we invite you to remind us about those whom we need to forgive as we recognize that we ourselves are forgiven. If there's someone who continues to exert uh, just a negative hold on our lives because we can't find it in ourselves to forgive them, then Lord, may you give us courage once again, open that book and turn to that page and offer our forgiveness. And we, Lord, also pray for justice and that you would be uh, the righteous one who fights on our behalf so we do not have to do so. Thank you, Lord, for your great forgiveness that we are cleansed and pure in your sight. In Jesus' name.